Turn, if you would, to the 15th chapter of the book of Romans. Believe it or not, we are going to finish Romans. If you can flip the page over, you see there's not a whole lot left. Romans 16 has a lot of uh, names that I'll have trouble pronouncing. Um, The last three weeks, we've been working our way through chapter 14, where we've been dealing with the topic of disagreement within the church body regarding fill-in-the-blank. You believe that it's okay to do one thing. I believe that it's wrong to do that. How should we interact with each other? These are areas that are not specifically covered by the Scripture. They are areas that God has given us grace, and we are told that we are to be fully convinced in our own minds of what we ought to do. We become fully convinced in our own minds when we study the Scripture when we ask godly counsel from people, when we pray and rely on the Holy Spirit to tell us what we ought to do. And we ended last week's lesson at the end of chapter 4 with the basic principle that whatever you do is to be done by faith. In fact, if you cannot do it by faith, if you cannot do it to the glory of God, don't do it. That was the conclusion. And we have a little bit more of that today. In fact, we actually read verse 1 of chapter 15 last week because chapter 14 uh, is dealing with people that, well, one person came out of a background that said you shouldn't eat certain foods. But Paul says, I know, I know everything has been given by God and is clean. But some people aren't quite there yet. And we discussed the idea of the weaker brother, the person who is not yet mature enough to know that the grace of God allows us to eat pork chops, if you came out of the Jewish background. So we pick up again today in chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So, he is addressing the church at Rome, and he says, we, collectively, you and me, we who are strong, have an obligation to the weak. Question number one, is it a little arrogant of Paul to say, we're in the strong category? Is it a little arrogant to say, you know, we're better than you are? Is that what he's saying here? No, what he's saying is there is such a thing as maturity. There is such a thing as those who have been in the faith longer, who have walked with God longer, who have sought to be obedient to the word of God. There are those who are mature. And they have an obligation to those who are less mature. Why would you be less mature? Well, first off, you could be a new believer. I mean, there are people who just accepted Christ and they came out of really strange backgrounds and you look at them and go, you believe what? And we're told in chapter 14 that we're not to despise them, we're not to look down upon them, but we are to help them in the maturing process. Somebody comes along and says, you know, 
I was living with this girl before I became a Christian, and I'm living with this girl after I became a Christian. Is that okay? And we come alongside them in love and say, let's talk about this. We don't use it as a club to beat them over the head. God is working in their lives just like he's working in our lives. But we help them on the path toward maturity. What is the opposite of that? Using our maturity as a club to beat them over the head. Now, we would never do that, would we? Traditionally, historically, outside the church, inside the church, the strong have used their power and influence to oppress and rule over those who are weak. What this passage is doing is turning all of that on its head. What it's saying is that the strong, the mature, those who are strong in their faith, need to defer and help the weak in their weakness. We don't lord it over them. We don't use it as a club. We don't use it as an opportunity to pursue our agenda. It is interesting, I've mentioned in here numerous, numerous times that my wife and I, which by the way, today is our 34th anniversary, which for this class is nothing. (laughs) I mean, we're practically newlyweds. But we have mentioned before that my wife and I do marriage mentoring with young couples who are getting married in the church. And one of the discussions that we have has a list on, you know, how to deal with conflict and all of that. And one of them is that the stronger of the two should defer to the weaker of the two. And what that means is if you're just looking at personality types, let's start with the easy part, okay? There are people who have strong personalities, and there are people who have less strong personalities. Well, you get into a marriage relationship, and if you don't watch it, the person with the strong personality will always dominate the conversation. So the person with the strong personality has to actively work at deferring to the person with the weaker personality. I know that. I see that in my children. You know, I've got one daughter who's very bubbly and very strong, and I I know what I'm doing. I'm going to do it. And she can dominate a conversation if you let her. I might add, she and her roommate are hiking through Big Ben, and she spent yesterday throwing rocks at bears who were attacking them. (laughs) But they're all okay, so... Life is good. There are those who are more mature, who are further along in the faith. They are to help those who are weak and not lord it over them. In fact, it says they are to live not to please themselves, but to please the other. In fact, what are they supposed to do? Let's keep reading. Let each of us please his neighbor for his own good to build him up. I've got my agenda. I know what I want to do. I'm strong enough to do it emotionally, physically, 
spiritually, however you want to look at that. And I want to do what I want to do. And along comes this new believer who doesn't understand my agenda, isn't where I am on the path of life, and I am told to help them, to help them to grow and to help them to mature. But I don't want to do that. I want to do my own thing. Huh. Paul is telling us, don't do that. Question. Do you ever want to lord it over someone else? You say, well, no, I don't really. But yes, you do. (laughs) I mean, let's face it. We like doing things our way. We like ordering our lives around our interest and our goals. We see this in religious organizations all the time. I've got a mission. I'm interested in this particular mission activity. You're interested in something else. What's wrong with you? The reality is God has shown you something to do and God has shown me something to do and I'm to help you and you're to help me. But right here we're talking about those who are less mature. Let each of us please his neighbor for his, his, the neighbor's good to build him, the neighbor, up. Now, I could ask you the question today. First, who is your neighbor and what have you done to build them up today? We as mature, notice I just did what Paul did, right? We as mature, those of us who have been in the faith longer than others, have an obligation to come alongside those who are weak in the faith and help them to mature. Why? For their good. But it doesn't help me much at all. So what? You have an obligation to help your neighbor for his good to build him up. So how do we do that? How do we build somebody up? Somebody tell me something. Talk to me. How do we build somebody up? Pardon? Encouragement. In fact, we're going to talk in just a moment about encouragement. What is encouragement? To give courage to someone. To come along and say, stick with it. I was in a bookstore. This was actually about two or three years ago. And there was a father with four small children. And you could tell he was a good Christian father. You could also tell he was overwhelmed (laughs) with four small children. And as I was leaving, I turned to him. I said, stay with it. It'll all work out. And I left. I never saw this person again. I have no idea who they were. Okay? We have an obligation to encourage those who are weaker. Somebody else. How do we help someone else to grow? Be a good listener. listener. We wouldn't want to do that, would we? Most of us listen just long enough to form our next comment. And then we're ready to go. I I could write a book about listening, but nobody would listen to it. (laughs) 
Sometimes it kind of drives me crazy when I have multiple of my children, and each child has their own conversation that they want to have. And all they're doing is waiting for the other child to stop talking so they can start their conversation. And they just bounce back and forth. And I'm sitting here going like this. I can't keep up with this. Listening to other people encourages. I mean, let's face it. A new believer, a less mature believer, if they're honest, have lots of questions. They have lots of issues. They have lots of concerns. And you know what? Some of it's not really in the right spiritual language that those of us in the church are used to talking about. But we need to listen to them so that we can understand, so that we can help them grow. Somebody else had something. Be patient. patient. (sighs) Hmm. We'll worry about that one tomorrow. Meet their material needs. Be a mentor to them. What does that mean? Help them along their way in love. Somebody else said something? Love them. Bottom line, don't go back to chapter 14 where it says, don't despise them, don't look down on them, don't go, how could you believe such and such a thing? It is interesting to me. I mean, I grew up in a church, okay? I think the day I was born I showed up at church. That may not be true. I know the words. I know how to talk like somebody in a church. Okay? And you come along, a new believer comes along, and they don't know that. And sometimes I just want to straighten them out. Into what? Somebody who knows all the right words? No. What is the goal of all this? We've talked about this throughout the book of Romans. The goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. So, when we are told to help the weak, and Paul wants to give us an example, who do you think that he picks? Let's keep reading. For Christ did not please himself. Let's take a vote right there. Christ the king of the universe. How many of you think that he came to please his desires, needs, wants, whenever he wanted to? The Gospels are very clear. He came to seek and to save those which were lost. That would be us. Paul elsewhere says he emptied himself, he lowered himself to take on the form of humanity. Now, we as human beings go, well, that's not a big drop, is it? You've got to think about that for a while. Think about you. Think about the slug outside your door on a moist morning. Look at that comparison for a while, and then think about Christ becoming human to meet our needs. Christ did not come to satisfy his own needs. He came for a purpose. Now it is interesting when you look at this, for Christ did not please himself. 
Because there are those who will argue that there's multiple levels of pleasing. Okay? When this is talking about pleasing himself, it's talking about meeting his own physical needs and wants and desires. There is a sense, because we talked about this last week or two weeks ago, Christ says, my will is to do the will of the Father. So he was pleased to do what God wanted him to do, but it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't meeting his own physical needs and desires. It was meeting the will of God. I mean, he gets in the garden and he says... If there's a plan B, now would be a good time to tell me. That's a loose translation. His humanity knew that what he was about to experience was going to be very bad. He knew that. He didn't want to go down that path. But he says... If there isn't a plan B, I'm all in. I am ready to do what needs to be done. Question. The young believer calls you up and says, I'm struggling with something. And you know this conversation is going to take two hours. And you don't want to do it. You just don't. You've talked with enough people. You know that talking to people takes a long time. And it's emotionally draining. Who has the time to do it? Sorry, I've got two minutes. I'm out of here. Because we are not willing to imitate Christ and not live for our own desires, but live in such a way that we can help others to grow and mature. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The bad things that people wanted to do to you fell on me. I got the bad stuff. Huh. That doesn't sound very pleasant. That doesn't sound very nice at all. Hmm, maybe we should think about that. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Whatever was written in the former days. Quick question. When Paul is writing this, what was written in the former days? The Old Testament. We have the advantage of living on this side of the New Testament, so we have even more stuff that was written. But let's just stick for a moment with Paul and what he's talking about here. What was written in the former days? That was in the past. He, at this point, is not including his stuff, but his stuff will get included. In fact, Peter's going to talk about Paul's stuff 
being just like that Old Testament stuff, the Word of God. Okay? We'll deal with that on another day. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Hmm. What instructions are there in the Old Testament that pertain to us today? Hmm. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. What is endurance? Hanging on. Lasting. Perseverance. Pardon? Don't quit. You see, endurance generally implies some difficulty of some sort. Okay? You go to a nice dinner and you don't talk about, I endured the dinner because it was a nice dinner. You go through a period of life that you don't have enough money to buy good food and you're living on beans and rice and you can later talk about enduring that period. We learn to endure by enduring and we learn, yeah, it's a loop. You get the picture. There are two things here that produce hope in us. Endurance and the encouragement of the scripture. I actually spent a lot of time this week thinking about that phrase. The encouragement of the scripture. When you read the scripture, notice I didn't say if you read the scripture. When you read the scripture, you ought to read the scripture. You ought to read the scripture more. When you read the scripture, are you encouraged by it? We're going to talk in a moment, if we get that far, and we probably will, about the promises made to Abraham, the patriarchs. God told Abraham, I will make of your descendants a great nation. Through your seed, singular, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And Abraham waited, and he waited, and he waited, and what did he do? He had endurance. And God fulfilled the promise that God said he would fulfill. What does that do for us? It makes us mad that we have to wait. Then we're, then we're learning the long, wrong lesson. It encourages us when we read the Old Testament stories and we realize that the same God who made the same promises to the people in the Old Testament, the same God is making promises to, uh, to us today. And the God who kept the promises back then will keep the promises to us today. Yeah, but look at all the hard stuff they had to go through. Yeah, why did they go through the hard stuff? So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scripture, 
they would develop hope. What is hope? And don't tell me it's a girl's name. Believing God will do what he promised. It is interesting, you know, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So we spend a lot of time talking about love. We love love. You know, we don't have a clue what it means, but that's beside the point. We like talking about love. In the Christian context that we're in, we spend a lot of time talking about faith. You know, you've got to have faith. We talked about that last week at the end of chapter 14. Whatever is not done of faith is sin. So we like talking about faith, but, you know, somehow hope gets a little nebulous to us. Hope is, in our minds, just wishful thinking. I hope things will work out okay. I hope my day will be okay. I hope my kids will turn out all right. I hope I just, I have no basis for this. It's just wishful thinking on my part. And then we get the verse, now by these three, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Hope must not be very important. Let's get rid of it. No. My understanding of why love is the greatest is because love is going to endure for all eternity. There will come a time when we will have what our hope tells us is there. When we get to heaven, it's there. You can have a long dispute or long discussion about what faith looks like in heaven when God is standing there in front of you. You can have a long discussion about what Hope means when it is all fulfilled, whether it even exists or not. If everything that God has promised has been fulfilled in heaven. But in case you haven't noticed, we're not in heaven. We're on this side of our death or the return of Christ. And on this side, things get really crazy at times if you don't appreciate that you haven't been following the election you haven't looked at the morality of our country you haven't looked at what young people say and believe and think to be true you haven't looked at your own heart to see the struggles that you and I have on a daily basis. This side of death or the return of Christ requires that we have hope. And it's not just wishful thinking. It is a firm belief that God who kept his promises will keep them in our lives. He who began a good work in you will Finish it. That's the promise that he has given to us. And we go to the Old Testament and we look and we see people who were struggling with real life problems. Abraham, great faith. But he also lets Sarah talk him into 
fooling around with Hagar to fulfill God's promises in his way. And that produced all kinds of problems and issues. David, great man of faith, followed God, a man after his own heart. But even he went his own way at times and struggled with what it meant to serve and follow God. This side of death or the return of Christ, we have to have hope. And I say this as someone who struggles at times with having hope. I look at the difficulties around me. I look at the problems that my children have, that I have, that we have, and I go, where's the hope? The hope is in the promises of God. Through endurance and through the encouragement of Scripture. And what do we end up doing? We don't read the Scripture because it takes too much time. And in our struggles, all we do is blame God for not straightening everything out today. And we do not learn the patience that we ought to have so that we can endure and have hope in God to fulfill his promises. I mean, you're no better than I am. The moment the bad hits, you start asking, God, why are you doing this to me? Instead of trusting in a loving God to fulfill his promises in his time. I struggle with this all the time. We actually talked about this several chapters ago when Paul started talking about we rejoice in suffering. I don't know about you. I don't do a lot of rejoicing in suffering. But we know that that suffering produces faith, endurance, hope, all of those things that God knows that we need. Yes. Please. Mm-hmm. The person with no hope doesn't see anything else on the other side of the problem, the issue, the death. Huh? A misguided hope. Well, I've, I've used the example before in here. I listened to the radio. This was several years ago. And this lady had died of, I think, breast cancer, some form of cancer, and it was sad. And the reporter went to the funeral service and the exceptionally liberal pastor giving the funeral service talked about it was all the government's fault for not giving more money for cancer research. Even the pagan reporter, this is the pagan reporter, sits there and he says, is that all the hope that the pastor can give the family and friends. (laughs) 
The lights are doing strange things. Is that all the hope that you can give? I love reading utopian literature. Okay? If only this piece of society were perfected, all of our problems would be solved. It's hilarious. Except that it is the only hope some people have. Endurance and the encouragement of the Scripture. Don't cut yourself off from the difficult times and don't cut yourself off from the Scripture. Acknowledge the fact that God is using the difficult times to produce something. And don't come up to me after this lesson and ask me what that something is. Because I don't know. I will encourage you. I will pray for you. I don't even know what it is in my own life sometimes right now. But we have hope that God will fulfill the promises just like he did to Abraham and the others that we read about in what was formerly written. And as I said, on this side of the scripture being completed, we have even more stories. We have Paul himself beaten to a pulp, run out of town, beaten to a pulp again, run out of town again, shipwrecked, threatened with death here, threatened with death there, whipped, thrown into prison, and he says, Woohoo, this is great. Is he a loony? No. He is a man who is aware that he is doing what God wants him to do. And he has the hope for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Flip a coin, I don't care. In fact, if I had my preference, I would just die now. I heard a talk years ago about a pastor on the other side of the Iron Curtain during the Cold War. And he was brought in for preaching the gospel. And they threatened to kill him. And he said, I don't care. And they realized that he meant it. He didn't care. And he says in this talk, and you can tell that he survived because he's given the talk, they didn't know what to do with me. What do you do with a person who doesn't care if he dies? So they let him go. I think they kicked him out of the country. That was their solution. Is it stupidity? Is it being naive? Or is it a faith in confidence in the God who has called us and who is going to do, who is going to perfect in us what he says he will do? That is hope. That is difficult at times. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. 
and they were uh, threatened with taking their property away from them. They turned to say, well, uh, you have to talk to Jesus about it. <laughs> well, he gave it to him. <laughs> but if you decide to take it anyway, then I'm free to trust him for my needs. And then if they threatened to curse him, they said, that's all right, because then I'm free to be healed. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, anyway, went on, and then they threatened with death. He said, that's all right, then I'm free to be with Jesus. What do you do with people who truly have hope? That's what the world needs. But what does this have to do with verse 1? You who are strong, help those who are weak. Well, you know what it means, right? What do the weak suffer most from? A lack of hope. You know, you become a believer... And you think, woohoo, this is great. And a week later, something bad happens to you. Life happens to you. And what do you do? What happened to God? I thought God was going to straighten all this out. There's actually a parable about this, remember? You know, the throwing the seed. And some of the seed fall, falls here, some of it falls there. And some of it is just choked out by the worries and concerns of this life. Those who are strong are to help those who are weak by walking them through these situations and events in their lives so that they know this isn't abnormal. This isn't somehow God's plan didn't work. God is working in us to pull off all those areas of our life that distract us from being conformed to his image. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It is interesting. He talks about the scripture encouraging us, and then he just gets straight to the source. Okay? God gave us the scripture to encourage us, but the truth of the matter, it is God himself who encourages us. It is God himself who gives us strength. How does he do that? Well, that is the function of the Holy Spirit living in the lives of believers to give us the encouragement. How does he do that? Sometimes by bringing the right person into our lives at the right time. Sometimes by giving us the right scripture at the right time. Sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit just tells you it's going to be okay. Hmm. The God of encouragement grants you to live in harmony with one another. Who are the one another's that he's talking about right here? Well, he's talking to the church at Rome. But he's talking here in the context of those who are weaker, those who are stronger. 
chapter 14, those who believe this about eating and drinking, those who believe something else about eating and drinking. But throughout the book of Romans, and in just a moment, he's going to talk about Jews and Greeks. Whatever those differences are, you are to live in harmony with one another. Those who are strong are to live in harmony with those who are weak. You know what happens, right? Those who are mature want to hang around with those who are mature. Those who are weak hang around with those who are weak, and we end up with weaker weak and weaker strong. (laughs) You thought I was going to say stronger strong, but no. We are called to live in harmony with each other. Why would he say this at this point? What did he tell the weaker? Don't, don't try to please yourself. What happens if every one of us in this room spent all of our waking hours trying to please ourselves? Sometimes we might get along with each other. You know, if I can use you to meet your needs and my needs at the same time, we can form a group to meet our individual needs. That could work for a little while. But this young believer comes along, and they're not helping me at all meet my needs. They're just a nuisance, they're just a distraction. Go away. And I'm not living in harmony because I, you, and we collectively are trying to please ourselves. Trying to please yourself destroys harmony within the body. What are we supposed to do? Work at pleasing one another. Hmm. Yes. Very low. His question was about when my father, my father, who was not a pastor, he was an insurance salesman, went to England for six months to fill in as a pastor of a Baptist church in northern England. And the question was, what was the percentage of believers? And it's not much. I mean, they had a small church in a large community and did what they did. But whatever they do, big or small, they need to encourage and live in harmony with each other. I mean, let's face it. There's lots of disharmony out there. There's lots of disharmony because... People are following their own desires. That together you with one voice, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Now, let's talk about how Christ welcomed you. Okay? You filled out your resume to send it to Christ. 
You talked about all the great things you had done. You talked about how you were an asset to the community. You talked about how great and wonderful you were. You even got signed letters of recommendation from very important people to tell Christ how wonderful and dynamic and important and valuable you were to him. That if only he would put you on his team, you could do great things. That's how you came to Christ. And if you did that, you're still sitting there with that piece of paper in your hand waiting for Christ. (laughs) Go back to Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and 6, and 7, and 8. There are none, that's you, there are none who seek after God. There are none who do what is right. Everyone follows their own way. There are none righteous. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Instead of worshiping the Creator, we worship the created world. And God gave us over. We were at war with God. We were at enmity with God. Our lives were counter to the will of God. That's what we were. And he accepted us. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. We can go back to the analogy of you looking at the slug if you want, but we won't go there. But think for a moment about the difference between you and Christ and what Christ had to do to accept you to die on your behalf so that you could be made into a child of God and be given the righteousness of Christ. And compare that with the difference between you and the young believer who still acts like a young believer. And guess what? God's given that young believer you to help them. And you look down on them and despise them. I hope you don't. Don't do that. We who are strong in the Lord. That's not a, an arrogant statement. It's just a sign that some of us are further along the path. One of the signs of being further along the path is humility. One of the signs of being further along the path is that you've spent time dealing with the two-by-fours in your own eye and know the difficulty of helping others with their specs. There's no room for arrogance. Part of being further down the path is the acknowledgement that God is a holy God and you're not and you are only saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life. And you say, gosh, and God sends this young believer into your lives, this less mature person, and says, 
God says, go help them. Go help them. Live in harmony with them. Huh. Okay. Why would I do that? Because of the endurance and encouragement of the scripture, we can help them in the same way that God helped us. If you have matured in your faith, it is probably because at certain points God has brought certain people into your life who help you grow. Now you're one of those people. It's just a fact. We're given to help each other grow. Why? For the glory of God. If you are doing a mentoring session with someone, formally, informally, over lunch, it doesn't matter, and at the end of the day, the glory is yours, you've messed up. The glory is God because it is God who gave us the encouragement to help each other. It is God that helps us to see that we are not to please ourselves. But more than all of that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. At the end of the day, we are just one sinner saved by the grace of God, helping another sinner saved by the grace of God bring glory to God in everything that we do. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your scripture. I pray, Lord, that this week we would be encouragers to each other For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.